Welcome to the Three Strands Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It is our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. I feel like many people probably walked into church this morning enslaved in the area that we're going to talk about the next three weeks. And so my goal and my prayer over the next three weeks is to remove those chains and for us to walk out of this place uh, living in freedom in those areas. So that's the whole goal of this series. But if you notice on, on your money, whether you got a quarter, a dollar, or whatever, there's a phrase on there that says what? says, in God we trust, right? But I know at times in my life, I feel like that I've put my financial hope and needs in my money more so than I have in God. And over this past year, I think I've been reminded to not worry so much about money, but simply just to let God be God in this area of my life, just like I have in all of the others. And once again, he's proven himself faithful as he always does and always has uh, in my life. And I also know that lately, uh, with Vision Week being last week and the end of the 2017 announcements where we are trying to meet our church budget, uh, it may not seem that way, but, but we try not to talk a whole lot about money around here because we don't want people to think or have a misconception that that's all we're about because we're not. Uh, we, don't, we don't pass an offering plate around. You've noticed that. Uh, we keep an offering box in the back for those of us who call uh, this church our home. We encourage people who are not members here uh, actually not to give. Just come and enjoy yourself and receive a blessing just from being here. But the truth is this. The truth is the Bible has a whole lot to say about money. And so if we're going to be faithful in teaching the Bible, we need to teach those scriptures as well. And so what we've tried to do is teach one series at the beginning of each year in hopes to free some people up financially. And so we've kind of taken on the motto that where the Bible speaks, we're going to speak. And where the Bible is silent, we want to be silent. And God has a lot to say on the issues um, about money, on the issues in the, those issues in the Bible. So I just want to jump right in to this series and learn how to put our trust in God in this area of our finances. I've heard it said that expenses are easy to meet. Everywhere I go, there they are. Jesus said more about money, listen, than any other topic. In the New Testament, more is said about our earthly possessions than, listen, heaven and hell combined. Let that sink in for a moment. That he talked more about earthly possessions than heaven or hell combined, and we know how important those things are. You know what the number one fighting word is among married couples? Sex? No. Kids? Nope. In-laws? Not even close. It's money. Money affects our stress levels. It affects our peace. It can cause jealousy toward other people. And it affects how we see our future. I heard about one guy who said he was trying to get his life and his cash to run out at exactly the same time. So he was thinking, he said, if I died next Tuesday, right after lunch, man, I would be great, you know. 
And uh, it's crazy how some people think. But if we manage money wisely, it can be a real blessing, can it? But man, if we manage it poorly, it can spit us up and chew, or chew us up and spit us out. Some of us have been in that boat as well. So each year we've decided to kind of do a series uh, on money. And we want to have some peace and contentment in our lives in this area. And so today what we're going to do is just talk through some basic money principles, kind of like money management 101, so to speak. And I want to encourage us to get back to the basics and put our trust in God and not in wealth. So I'm guessing that uh, if we were able to log into your bank account this morning, we could create uh, quite a stir in this place, couldn't we? I mean, we could put it up on the screen here, and we could let everybody take a look at your financial situation. And of course, we, we can't do everybody today. We don't have time, so we're just going to do this half of the room this morning from there over, okay? Just kidding, Mike. But we could look at a person's financial statements and know how much that they're into recreation and entertainment. Uh, we can see how much value that they place on housing and decorating, uh, driving a certain kind of car, how into clothes that you are, uh, what kind of vacations that you take, whether or not you have a teenager at home with a cell phone, or in our case, teenagers at home with a cell phone. Uh, it would expose some things like discipline or maybe the lack thereof. And it might show how concerned we are about the things of God, how compassionate we are toward helping other people. Because there's nothing quite like money to reveal some character issues within our lives. Now listen, this series is not designed to make you feel guilty. Please don't hear that. All right? It's not to beat you up about financial failures. That's not the goal of this series either. We've all made some mistakes in this area. Okay? This is not about uh, banging bucks out of church people. This is something that will hopefully allow God to teach us some basic plans and principles for managing our money in a God-honoring way so that you and I can experience financial freedom. Okay? So, so let's jump in. Vince Lombardi, who was the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, uh, every year at the beginning of the season on, on a training camp in the first day, uh, he would get all the veterans and he would get all the rookies together in just one big old huddle. Every year, okay? And he would say, now, gentlemen, this is a football, right? Guy's been playing for years, decades, okay, as well as rookies. And he would just start right there with a the pigskin and say, this is a football. And so let's just begin by just getting back to the basics of money management principles today. So let's look at the screen here. Basic principle number one. God owns it all, right? God owns it all. Look at Matthew 25, verses 14 and 15. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. So Jesus is illustrating what the kingdom of heaven is like using a parable about money. But did you see that first principle there? 
It says that he entrusted his property to them. Did you get that? When Abby turned 16 last year, uh, we bought her a car. And she got excited about that car. And she put this cute little flower on the back, on the windshield or the back window, whatever it's called there. And it's got her initials in it, you know. And I didn't know what that was for a while. I said, A. PC and I'm like what's Apicur you know like what in the world does that mean and you know and I figured that was her initials and she just loves that car and we call it Abby's car it's what we call it she loves that car okay even though it got hit in the rear end last Saturday she still loves that car but we made it very clear to her when we bought the car that she drives that it is really our car Okay, we're just entrusting it to her, but there will never be any question that we can take it back at any time for any reason. She will only have responsibilities, gas, oil change, tires, you know, can drive it, do whatever, but we maintain the right of ownership. And in the exact same way, every single possession that we have really belongs to God, doesn't it? I mean, we might possess a lot of stuff, but guys, we own absolutely nothing. Because an owner has rights, a steward has responsibilities. Does that make sense? I'm just simply managing what are already his resources. Look at Psalm 24 in verse 1. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people They belong to him. David, in the Old Testament, after a huge offering from God's people, he prayed this prayer in 1 Chronicles 29. Look at verse 14. He said, but who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, he prayed. And we give you only what you first gave us. Guys, if we really believe this principle, it it helps us loosen the grip on the things that we have. It frees us to let God take back whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, for whatever reason he wants to. Because it's his anyway, right? I mean, the, the principle allows us to see that not only is our giving to God a spiritual decision, but listen, every spending decision we make is a spiritual decision, right? Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Listen, there's nothing more spiritual about giving in an offering box than there is in buying a car, taking a vacation, going to the grocery store, paying taxes, or paying off debt. We're using his resources to do all of that. Now, We have a great deal of latitude with how we use his resources, but they're still his resources. And we're going to have to give an account someday, listen, of how we manage his stuff. We've got to own that. Last week uh, was no exception. I've told Dave this for years, but Vision Week uh, never fails to be one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Probably my most favorite Sunday of the year. I think it's so cool to look back at what all God did in the past year, things I forgot about, but I'm always so proud of our church. It's been that way every year. I know we hit our budget this year, but I I mean, every year I'm always so proud of our church when he shares with us the details 
of how much money that our little church gives away each year to things that matter and are close to the heart of God. And guys, I I think God just smiles when a church acts like the church and is obedient in helping missionaries or those in need or simply paying a pastor's salary as the Bible instructs us to do. You know what? Many of you have money to give to things such as that because you realize that, hey, God owns it all anyway. You know that to be true. So not only does God own it all, but the the second principle uh, that we need to remind ourselves of is that God has enrolled us in character development school. Okay? Every one of us in the room, God has enrolled in character development school. That's where we're living here on this earth. Did you know that the most important thing that we bring home from our workplace is not our paycheck? It's our character. I mean, God uses all kinds of things to shape our character. He uses our jobs. He uses our family. He uses our spouse. He uses our kids. He uses difficult people in our lives. And he uses tragic loss. He's concerned about using the things of this life to perfect our character. And money management is one of the greatest methods that he uses to grow us up on the inside. He does. And I could think of at least three ways that God uses money. There's probably more than that, but I just want to give you three this morning. And the first way that God uses money in our lives is as a tool. As a tool, kind of like a chisel to shape our desires. God has placed within each one of us the desire to excel. In August of last year, my favorite baseball team, the Los Angeles Dodgers, were 91 and 35. That is incredible for Major League Baseball. 91 and 35, and on pace for a record 116 wins at the time. And their manager, Dave Roberts, said, You know what? We can play a lot better than this. Pitcher Rich Hill for them took a perfect game into the ninth inning and a no-hitter into the tenth inning last August against the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he said in a post-game interview, I can pitch a lot better than that. And you know what? There are very few Sundays when I teach here that I don't leave thinking, I can do better than that. I can. Because within each one of us, is a healthy ambition, a healthy drive to excel. And guys, that's a good thing. If a man or woman is gifted to make money, hey, they ought to do so with excellence in a way that glorifies God. However, we can be naive in thinking that along the way that there is not some seriously, potentially damaging temptations that come along with ambition. Listen, things like greed selfish indulgence, insensitivity, pride, and arrogance. Did you know that statistics show that people who make more than $100,000 a year give a smaller percentage to charity than those who make much, much less? So you see, if, if we're not careful, our character can actually shrink if our ambition is not balanced. God wants to use money to shape our minds, to shape our hearts, to shape our attitudes, and to shape our desires. Listen, we ought to be continually asking God through our financial world, God, what are you trying to teach me here? 
Uh, what is it about my character that you need to chisel away at? So the first way God uses money is as a tool, and another way is as a test. You see, money can test many things about our hearts, can it? I mean, it can test our motives. It can tell who we really are. It can tell if we really love God and other people. It can tell if we're generously sharing to help people in need and if we're selfishly shrinking on the inside. Look at Proverbs 1.19. It says, Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. And guys, it'll test our integrity as well. Because it's not about how much we earn, it's about how we earned it and how we are managing it. So um, are our motives pure? Are we growing in honesty? And listen, are we doing the right thing when nobody's looking? That's what God cares about. Look at Ephesians 4 verse 28. It says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work. And then give generously to others who are in need. There are all kinds of scams out there based on dishonesty just because money is what's driving people. Uh, I heard of a lady who was trying to get around the IRS and she sent them a note. And in the letter it said, please remove my name from your mailing list. Right? And I wanted to send that same letter. That would be wonderful if we could get off their mailing list, but we're not. So... Money will also test our ability to manage really important things. Look at it in Matthew 25, verse 16. The servant who received five bags of silver, that'd be about $5,000, began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver, about $2,000, also went to work and earned two more. And so the principle here is that they took whatever the owner gave them and they wisely put it to work. But you notice, however, the amount is not important here, is it? Because to the $5,000 guy, look what he says in verse 21. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Now look what he said to the $2,000 guy. He said the exact same thing in verse 23. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And guys, so that teaches us that it's not about a dollar amount. God just wants us to know that if we can grow in our ability to manage temporary things like money, then he can entrust us with eternal things. Listen, mainly the lives of other people. Jesus said in Luke 16, verses 10 through 13, the scripture that Dan read in between the two songs. Jesus said, listen, he said, if, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the larger ones. But if you're dishonest in those little things, you think they don't really matter, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? 
No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And I love this verse here. It says, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You just can't. So the third way that God uses money, not only as a tool and a test, but it's as a testimony. Because money will reveal to the rest of the world how we really feel about God. Do I trust Him or or not? Look at Matthew 25, verse 24. Then the servant with the one bag of silver, about $1,000, came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid that I would lose your money, and so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. In verse 26, the master replied, you you wicked and lazy servant. So this guy obviously did not know the character of the one who had entrusted the talent to him. He just took whatever God gave him, he put it on the shelf, and went through life doing his own thing. His heart never was about pleasing the one who had blessed him. And money will testify to the rest of the world how we feel about God, whether we really love Him, whether we really trust Him, whether we really know Him or not. Look at Hebrews 13, 5. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I'll never leave you. I will never abandon you. But you know, guys, in our culture... There are so many people who want to get rich quick. And some of us have been there, I understand. But so many people want to get freed up financially, listen, at microwave-type speed. I mean, I have stood in the convenience store line behind people buying $100 worth of lottery tickets when they can only afford to put $5 worth of gas in their car while their five kids are sitting out there in an old, broken-down car in need of clothes. I've heard of guys taking fantasy football and fantasy baseball to a whole new level, just hoping to hit it big. Some people just obsess over what the stock market is doing. They constantly got their eyes on it. Some people take their entire savings and they throw it into get-rich-quick schemes and they watch their lives go down the tubes. Why? Why do people do that? Why? Why do people want to get rich quick? Listen, because getting rich quick usually requires little character. All it requires is luck, not character. Pick the Powerball, the winning numbers, guess the point spread. And all along, listen, God is saying to us, come on. Come on, I want to build character in your life. And one of the ways that I want to do that is to let you manage the money that I have entrusted to you and learn things like wisdom and discipline and perseverance and courage and conviction and willpower and compassion and delayed gratification and contentment. That's the stuff that counts. That's the long-term payoff, he's saying. God says in Proverbs 21.5 that good planning and hard work, that's what leads to prosperity. But listen, hasty shortcuts, he says that leads to poverty. You know, I, 
I think there's something within each one of us that says, I want to cut class. I don't want to go to character development school anymore. But listen, if we would just stay the course, stay enrolled in the school of character development as we manage our money and as we honor God with it, it develops trust and confidence, listen, in God's ability to sustain us and to do miracles in our lives. And that is something that the Kentucky Lottery will never bring to your porch. A guy named Ron Blue once said, Stewardship is the use of God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. And that's what it is. Well, to do this thing right, we need a plan of attack. Okay? We need to get back to some basics. And we've talked about this briefly here before, uh, but but I want to share with you a simple biblical plan that I have implemented in my life for over 20 years now, and I'm telling you it works well. Now listen, this is not a straight jacket, uh, do this or else kind of plan. I'm not saying that. It's flexible, and it can be changed to meet your own situation. But it's just simply called the 10-10-80 plan. 10-10-80. Many Christian financial counselors will advise people to begin here. And you do it in this order. It's real simple. You pay God 10%. You pay yourself 10%. And then you pay your bills and you live off the other 80% of your income. I brought these spending jars. Uh, Actually, we have four kids. We have 12 of these at our house. But we've been doing this ever since uh, the kids were very, very little. We bought three jars, and we got their names on them and the percentage, and one says give, and this one says save, and that one says spend. 10, 10, 80. And here's what our kids do. Every other Friday, they get 10 bucks, okay? Uh, We used to call them allowances. Dave Ramsey says don't call them allowances because that teaches your kids they get something for nothing. He says you call them commissions. They do chores around the house. If they do their chores, they get the the money. If not, they don't. You teach your kids they got to work because nothing in life is handed to you. It's not free. You got to work for it. And so it's actually called a commission. You do your chores, you get the money. So every other Friday, we give each of our kids 10 $1 bills, okay, or a five and five ones. And here's what they do. All four of them go back to their jar, and they put one in the give jar. And they put one in the save jar, and they take the other eight, and they put it in the spin jar. Abby, how long have you been doing that? I can't hear her, but she's been doing her whole life, okay? I didn't hear a word she just said, but I know how long she's been doing it, okay? But what Abby's done, now that she's in high school, we've actually opened up a bank account for her, and she takes this spin jar, and it's in her actual bank account with a debit card. And she manages her money very, very wisely, and we're very proud of her. But every time she gets paid at her job at Santa Fe, she takes the give and save money and hands me an envelope and says, will you put that in my jars? And I do. And I'm proud to say it. Our kids gave over $200 to the Lord last year, just simply doing this, this little principle. And it may not seem like a lot to you, but it was a lot to them. And I'm very proud of them for doing that, just simply taking this principle, putting into practice at a very early age. But we can do the same thing. Listen, every time you get your paycheck, pay God. The ideal method of money management for the Christian is to first honor God right off the top. Proverbs 3, nine says, Honor the Lord with the wealth and with the best part 
of everything that you produce. The Bible suggests that we give him at least 10% of what we earn, which is what is called the tithe. The word tithe literally means tenth. And God just wants us to know that in returning the first part of our earnings to him and his work, that we're demonstrating how thankful we are to be blessed with the things that he's given us and that we trust him as our father. Look what he says in Malachi 3, verse 8 and following. He says, should people cheat God? That you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? I mean, when did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me of tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Now remember, God doesn't need our money. He's not begging for your money. It's his anyway, right? But listen, this is the only time, this scripture blows me away because it's the only time in the Bible where God says, test me. Bring it. Come on. He says, make me prove myself and just see if I'm faithful or not. Now listen, I don't want us to have impure motives, okay? We don't give in order to get. That's not our motive. But God is asking us to test him, to invite him into our financial situation. And guys, I cannot tell you how many times in my personal life God has taken care of me uh, financially when I didn't see a way out. When I sat down at the end of the month and did the bills and on paper, it just didn't add up. I can't tell you the amount of times God's worked it out some way or another. God is not in trial in my life in this area anymore. God has proven himself to be faithful to me every single time. And when Heather and I got married, we went into our marriage committed to honoring him with our income to the day that we go home to be with him. Because, guys, when we honor God, he gets involved in our financial affairs, listen, supernaturally. It's amazing. When we don't, God says, we're robbing him of the chance to show us how much he cares. Robbing him of the chance to touch other people with our generosity. And so pay God. The second part of the plan says to pay yourself. That's wonderful. You know, our paycheck has our name on it, doesn't it? But doesn't it seem like much of it goes to everybody else except us? I mean, I feel that way at times. According, or, or we work hard, some of us too hard, year after year, and yet we never pay ourselves. And that's crazy. According to the Social Security Administration, listen, statistics show that only 2% of Americans reach age 65 financially independent. And I'm sure there's several reasons why, but they report that 30% must depend upon charities to survive, that 23% must continue to work to survive, that 45% must receive help from relatives to survive. And are you ready for this one? 85% of all Americans have less than $250 in savings when they reach age 65. You know what that means? That means they've been paying themselves an annual salary of five bucks, is what that means. So honor God first, 
And then pay yourself, listen, without apology, without embarrassment. And if you struggle with this concept, you can quote yourself a scripture that's perfectly quotable in this context that says, those who work deserve their pay. Quote it to yourself, okay? Establish a little freedom fund for the future. And the Bible says that we ought to learn from the ant in this regard, how it stores up food for the winter because the future is coming. And listen, if you were 25 years old, okay, if you're 25 years old and only made $15,000 a year, and you work for 20 years, but the whole time you work that you apply this 10-10-80 plan we're talking about, listen, at age 45, just 20 years later, you will have given $30,000 to the Lord and saved $30,000 as well, not including interest. That's not bad for a person who never made over $15,000 a year. If you're 40 years old and making $30,000 a year, at age 60, you will have given $60,000 to the Lord and saved a minimum of $60,000. Guys, I know that there are those whose situations are much more complicated than I'm making it sound, but maybe you could start something like this, right? I mean, you could... But you know what? A whole lot of us won't. You do the math in your head and you think, I've got to live on 80% of my income? Oh gosh, I don't know. And listen, I'm not saying that we delay paying bills. Biblically, we're obligated to pay the people that we owe. I'm saying we ought to be working toward a plan where we can adjust our lifestyle so that we can live off of 80% of our income. Once you pay God and you pay yourself, then whatever you have left over, go live it up, all right? Take a, a dream vacation to Cumberland Falls or Pondock, Kentucky or wherever you have, you know, can afford to go now. But uh, anyway, live it up then. But you know what most people do right there? They cave. Most people cave in and they say this, I can't do that. Or more accurately, I won't do that. Because we've got good intentions, but then stuff starts glittering and cars and houses begin tempting and the urge to pull that spending trigger gets so great that we just say, oh, heck with the plan. I don't care about the future. And besides, 90 days is the same as cash. And so the plan goes out the window and our stress levels go up, don't they? And you know what happens first is that people stop paying God. They stop honoring God with their income, which, listen, removes his promise of supernatural involvement in their financial picture, which means now they're on their own. No miracles, no supernatural protection, no rescues by God. And then they begin to neglect themselves. No freedom fund for my future. No extra for emergencies or to help other people who are in need. And you know where all this is heading, don't you? It's heading to words like this, because we've all been there in our lives. It's, it's headed to word, words like debt, guilt, bondage, despair, stress. And guys, I've just got to say that those are not the words that Jesus used when he talked about the abundant life that he wanted us to have. No, he used words like joy and peace and freedom and contentment. So guys, listen, don't cave in. 
Don't cave in. Start to work a plan similar to this and live within your means so that we can learn like Paul did in Philippians 4 when he said, For I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything, he says. He said, I've learned the secret of living in every situation. And as we close, God is saying to us this morning, He's saying, people, listen to me. He's saying, I love you. That you matter to me. That my son paid an enormous price on the cross so that you could be spiritually free. And guys, Jesus laid down his life so we could be free from sin and guilt and remorse and and all of that. And if the son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Listen, not just free spiritually, but free relationally and free financially. That's what God has in store for us. But we have to decide whether or not we're going to cooperate with God's plan for our lives. So how about today? Just making a decision to at least get started with some steps toward a plan. Honor God first. First thing with your paycheck. And then pay yourself without apology. And then live within your means with the rest. But you know, if you don't know Jesus, you're not going to want to follow him in any area of your life, especially with money. So maybe for you, how about today, just stepping on your pride and surrendering your life to him because it will be the best decision that you ever made. Just saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner that I've screwed up. I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins, and I want to trust him as my Lord and Savior. I pray if you haven't done that today, that today would be the day of salvation. Let's pray together. Father, there's nothing quite like money to kind of show us where our heart's at. And I pray today that nobody's going to leave here thinking that we're trying to bang bucks out of church people. But that, Father, you care about what's on the inside. You don't need any of our money because it's not ours anyway. It's yours. And that you've entrusted it to us as a steward. So I pray for the people there right now that are just kind of struggling with, I know I need to start a plan, but I just don't. God, please give them the faith to step out and just trust. Just to know that you love them more than anything and you want what's best for them. And help them to move forward following you. Father, I pray for the person that may be sitting here going, you know what, Uh, that that was all kind of foreign to me and and, uh, I don't even know who this Jesus guy is. I pray that today would be their day of salvation where they step on their pride and they say, God, I need you in my life to be my Lord and Savior. Father, we love you. And I pray that we would apply what you taught us today through your word. In Jesus, it's in your name we pray.